Hello, I'm Dan. And I'm Simon. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Simon, what are we talking about this week? This week, Daniel, we are talking about Wade Dahl Till Valve. Um, bless you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. When this randomised... Because for those of you who, who don't know, we randomise a Wikipedia article for every episode. I exclaimed to Dan, no, hang on, I ejaculated that this would be an interesting one. Mm. Because the Wade Dahl Till, or WDT, valve is a cerebral shunt developed in 1962 by hydraulic engineer Stanley Wade, author Roald Dahl, and neurosurgeon Kenneth Till. No way. Yahweh. Yahweh. God himself. That's very interesting. So, I mean, I'm just going to read this. This is quite a short article. I'd never heard of this before. Okay. And this is this is a, a Venn diagram overlap that I was not expecting. So, in 1960, Dahl's son, Theo, developed hydrocephalus after being struck by a taxi cab. Right. A standard halter shunt was installed to drain excess fluid from his brain. However, the shunt jammed too often, causing pain and blindness, risking brain damage and requiring emergency surgery. Till, a neurosurgeon, sorry, that's not like an abbreviation of until, Till, yeah, sure. Kenneth Till, a neurosurgeon at London's Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children, determined that debris accumulated in the hydrocephalic ventricles, I didn't know that we had those, could clog the slits in the halter valves, or the valves in the shunt to drain the fluid, mm -hmm. especially with patients such as Theo who had bad bleeding in the brain and brain damage. Sorry, bad bleeding in the brain and brain damage. <laughs> Said like someone with brain damage. Well yeah, uh, 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 <laughs> call the bondulance. <laughs> Dahl knew Wade to be an expert in precision hydraulic engineering from their shared hobby of flying model aircraft. Wow. So just just to paint this picture, right? So you have a neurosurgeon who is operating on author Roald Dahl's son, yes. who's been tragically hit by a car, and then Roald Dahl goes, oh, hang on, there's a problem with this. I have a friend who I know from my model plane flying days who can help. So with Dahl coordinating the efforts of the neurosurgeon and the hydraulic engineer, the team developed a new mechanism using two metal discs, each in a restrictive housing at the end of a short silicon rubber tube. Fluid moving under pressure from below pushed the discs against the tube to prevent retrograde flow, so the backflow. Mm -hmm. Pressure from the above moulded each disc to the open position. And this was reported in The Lancet, and there's an illustration of a patent application for this, that it has low resistance, ease of sterilization, no reflux. Oh, God, that's a triggering phrase for me right now. Robust construction and negligible risk of blockage. And by the time the device was perfected, Theo had healed to the point where, which it was no longer necessary to implant the shunt in his skull. However, several thousand other children around the world benefited from the WDT valve before the technology progressed beyond it. The co-inventors agreed to never accept any profit from the invention. Wow. And that's the whole article. That's amazing. What an interesting thing. I'd never heard of it before. No. It's something to drain fluid from inside the skull that author Roald Dahl had a hand in improving. That is so cool. Wow. That's one of the most interesting stories I think we've ever had on the podcast, actually. Also, ventricles in the brain is cool. Yeah. I had no idea. Hang on, right. Because ventricles, I understand. It means, oh gosh, ventricles is, is chamber in Latin or something like that? That sounds right, yeah. Hang on, etymology of ventricle. I'm pretty sure it's something like that. Oh, no, um, belly. That's interesting. Oh. Venter, meaning the belly. 
Okay, right. Why is it used for a cavity in the heart, then? I guess it's because it's like a hollow out bit within the body? Yeah, maybe. So the ventricular system is a set of four interconnected cavities known as cerebral ventricles in the brain. So I'm looking at a diagram. Oh my god, this is... We need to get David Harvey on this. Yeah, we need to get an actual, a useful doctor. An actual doctor. Four years of academy training wasted. An actual doctor who isn't actually a doctor, if we think about where the word doctor came from. Yes, doc- Dr. Root came first. Yes. As we know from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes. So I see, there's sort of just basically the cavities within the head that then... Oh, I see. So there's a... there's a, a, Yeah, there's cerebrospinal fluid, which goes through the brain and the spinal cord. So yes. the ventricles in the brain, I guess, are just part of the system that allows that to flow. Like spinal tap. Y- yes. <laughs> yes? Yeah. That's a thing, right? Dial up your ventricular system to 11. Doesn't spinal tap have something to do with... The fluid that goes between the spine and the brain. Yeah, hang on, spinal. This is this is a medical episode, everyone. Apologies if anybody yeah. is, um, you know. Yeah, apologize. Sorry, um, if you just let me in there. Apologize, for my cold hands. If you could just cough for me. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> God, I've never quite understood the point of that. Do you think that's a troll that medical doctors have just done to humanity for the past? That was oh, I'll just t- I'll just grab his balls and tell him to cough. What does it do? Nothing. But it makes you know, it makes him feel. I get to feel his balls. That's the important thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I don't know what it's a sign of if you cough and your balls don't move (laughs) they just they look you dead in the eye without breaking eye contact reach for the phone on the wall and it's like cancel my three (laughs) o'clock we've got a non-ball bag twitcher i'd like you to stay perfectly calm (laughs) come and look at this freak his ball bag doesn't move when he coughs it's like it's like a what was it is it 2319 20 oh god in monsters inc monsters inc yeah oh hang on i'm just gonna try something one sec (coughs) no mine don't move are you sitting down? Yeah, I am. If I stand I think up, you need to be st- I think you need to be standing up. I was also. Hang on, let me get a better grip. Hang on. <coughs> oh, okay, right. No, 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 right. So it's not the the actual. The, the, <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this. There's like a, there is a tension. No, no, sorry, I, hang on, hang on. Sorry, we're not doing this, Simon. <laughs> we, you're this. in this. <laughs> this is on your record too. That's, this is science. Science is you f- around and you find out, and we just did the. F- around and now we're in the finding out stage so they didn't move themselves but there was like a a definite like tension in the upper like where they connected to the rest of the body Mm. so i guess there's a neural thing going on that must be what it either that or it's a big troll is that the vas deferens is it that bit god damn my search history it's already incredibly like medical as it is at the moment it's either called the vas deferens or the bell delphine search one of the (laughs) Which one of those? Oh, oh, what a coin flip. <laughs> hey, well, my wife is calling me. No, um, <laughs> yes, I think it is the vast effort. Oh, these diagrams are f***ed up. I'm sorry. This, this, I don't want to look at this. Yes, a, a spinal tap is used to diagnose certain health conditions performed in the lower back. You remove a sample of cerebrospinal fluid. That's that's what that yeah, is. Cool. Awesome. Well, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't yeah. completely linking things that, that have nothing to do with each other, you know. So there is a, um, just as a little kind of, a footnote, I guess, to this article. There is actually a, a reference here at the bottom of the wiki article to an article which you can read as a PDF called Tales of the Unexpected, Roald Dahl's Neurological Contributions. And it, <laughs> it's, it starts by saying that, you know, you know him as an author of children's books, though his, his oeuvre extends to other works, including screenplays, ghost tales and novels, and uh, also neurological contributions. Oh, that's it, because he had a big brain injury. 
when he was a pilot in World War Two, he had a plane crash, I think. Because mm. I read one of his mm. autobiographies. I read yeah. Boy, and then there's Going Solo, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. He had some quite deeply unpleasant parts to his personality, didn't he? Yeah, I think to an extent he was one of those people who were like products of their time, you know? Yeah. Which doesn't excuse it, of course, but yeah, he held views that nowadays would be completely sort of unacceptable. Yeah, and, and you can see it in his books, like, you know, um, Oompa Loompas, for example, not actually orange-skinned in the books. They were, I think they were a tribe of pygmies from Africa, I think, were how they were described. Yeah. It's of its time, as you say, but it's one of those things, right, where I don't know in, say, 10 years' time or however many years' time, would I feel comfortable with my daughter reading that specifically? You know, like, obviously, there's some wonderful bits of Roald Dahl. There's, like, SEO trot. There's lots of tales that he wrote. But I guess it's part of this broader conversation of to what extent do you censor your your child's exposure to children's literature because of the time that it was written in? I mean, even in a sort of less sort of close to the bone sense i mean the word in uh let's take charlie and the chocolate factory for instance in fact most of roald dahl's books people are often described as being fat and that word has sort of vanished yeah physical appearance is like if you are ugly you're you're a bad person yeah yeah i think it's interesting you know i mean i don't think i would feel if you know if and when i have children hopefully when i have children i don't think i'd feel too uncomfortable about them reading that provided that it was explained and placed within a sort of context right as opposed to just a a sort of prohibition on reading things that now are unacceptable because I I do Mm. think to an and again like this this comes with many caveats of course but I do think you know to an extent I'm not entirely sure that we can gain a tremendous amount or are necessarily doing the right thing by sort of examining figures and art from the past through a modern lens because inevitably it's got you know we read about and study the ancient greeks right yeah and the roman you know but 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 you know there were there were many and varied seriously questionable questionable attitudes and and approaches in that time i'm you know shakespeare himself likely being a product of that time wouldn't have held views that we would today consider acceptable but then certain figures seem to sort of have a free pass on this sort of retrospective mm. censoring to an extent and i don't, yeah i don't know i think it's i think it's more important to educate about it and understand why it's wrong. It's difficult to do that with children specifically, I think, because, you know, as an adult, you mm. have developed far more reasoning, well, most adults at least, uh, far more reasoning capabilities. You can put these things in context. I think, especially if it's your first exposure to an idea. Yeah, perhaps. It makes it so much more difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think it does make it so much more difficult. I mean, I also think that a child can read a book and view it as a child. You know, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, whichever, Mm. wherever that's from. I think it might be Corinthians. Love is not jealous. It's never boastful. That You know, it's one, it's the thing of wedding speeches all the time. Oh, Corinthians Um, Corinthians 140 or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, I think, you know, I think children naturally approach topics and subjects with an innocence, you know, by virtue of their lack lack of experience. But certainly, you know, I, I don't think I was particularly old when at school we studied, I don't know, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird mm. or Of Mice and Men. And I think that the, the themes in those texts, while sort of morally complex, there's still a way that you can introduce these ideas to children in a way that, that is beneficial, you know? 
But those ideas are in To Kill a Mockingbird, for example. The book is about racism, but it's not told from the perspective of a racist, you know? Like, it's, 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 and it's not a, a throwaway comment based on a value judgment at that time. It's a dissection of the concept of, you know, systemic racism in the case of To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, it, it, as you say, it's incredibly complex and you can't tar everything with the same brush. Mm. I think there are going to be certain pieces, there are certain works that, that are very clearly, like I wouldn't have a problem with her reading that, you know, my daughter reading that, for example, whereas, you know, obviously I wouldn't want her to be reading Atlas Shrugged or Mein Kampf yeah. or, or whatever it is. Yeah. The, the, the sure. more interesting yeah, sure. ones for me would be, you know, like, and I know we've spoken about this before, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff in Harry Potter, for example, that I don't know know would i really want her to be sort of picking up on some of the stereotyping in that for example but probably would be fine with her reading it you know yeah i think it you know it comes down to the child and the circumstance in which it's being approached you know if if my child had you know wanted to read something mm. I, don't, I, you know, my first response would be like, wow, that's great. I'm really interested. I'm really interested to hear that you want to read this particular thing. Can I ask why? Mm. And and if it's just because, you know, oh, people are reading it at school or, oh, you know, I, I just like the sound of it or, but, you know, then I'd be like, okay, well, that's probably fine. I mean, obviously you're going to, you know, you're going to sort of review things to an extent. I think it's important that there is some sort of safety net, if you like. Mm. But, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know whether I'd want to, you know, I think I'd probably be fine with my kid reading Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Just to draw us back, by the way, to the original, because we've definitely gone off on one on this on this one. No, keep diving. Go, go, go. <laughs> Reach the f- challenger deep of the episode. I was just looking back through the Roald Dahl page, mm-hmm. and can you tell me which classic children's film Roald Dahl wrote that was also produced by Cubby Broccoli, who was the producer of the famous James Bond films? Yes. Which film would that be? Um, it's not one of Roald Dahl's novels. No, it's not a novel, but he wrote the film. Oh, he did like the screenplay. Yeah, and the film. Sorry, the, the film was based on a book written by Ian Fleming. Oh. Yeah. Gosh. I'll give you a, a hint. Okay. The subtitle to the film is the most phantasmagorical musical entertainment in the history of everything. Okay. Um, I'm not sure. The film in question is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Did he write the screenplay for He that? wrote the screenplay for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, based on a novel by Ian Fleming. The one with Dick Van Dyke? Yeah, the one with Dick Van Dyke. That is so crazy. I had no idea. And what was interesting was, because it came up because I was like, pretty sure there's some bad stereotyping in this film. I had been wrong my entire life, Dan. I thought that the film took place in Bulgaria. Well, it's it's not it's not actually Bulgaria, is it? It's Vulgaria. Yeah, yeah. Which I must have misheard when I was a child, and I thought that this film was terribly rude to people who must actually live in Bulgaria. But it's yeah, that one's on me. Uh, whoops. That blows my mind that I didn't know that he did the screenplay for that. It's one of those That's connections, so right? Where you're just like, wait, what? It's the kind of thing where if you were on something like Pointless, mm. and it was like Roald Dahl books or Roald Dahl works. You could pretty much guarantee that that would be a pointless answer. Oh, well, that, that's actually an interesting segue. Um, I, at the time this is coming out, um, this episode will be coming out, I am going to be writing a quiz for the Jingle Jam this year. Oh, cool. The Oscar's Jingle Jam. And I can now confirm, because it went public 
uh, the other day on Instagram that so for those of you that don't know, sorry, but Jiggle Jam is it's a it's a month long um, set of charity streams that the Yogscast do. We get lots of lots of people involved. Normally, you have tens of thousands of people uh, watching each stream, which can be you know playing video games for the most part but it can be watch uh, just looking through memes that they've collected over the year or in my case i do a quiz every year and this year the quiz is on wednesday the 6th of december at 5 p.m uk time and it's become a tradition basically that i do one of these quizzes every year i think i've done it this might be the fifth year maybe I've done one Gosh. and previously we sort of did big fat quiz of the year style format we did a university challenge last year which nearly killed me and this year if you'd like to watch I'm doing The Chase interesting that's fun yeah which should be interesting because there's sort of quite a big there's a, there's a wide difference in skill level I would say when it comes to quizzes in the Oxcast. so uh, it's quite good to take the people who are, are the top end and make them our chasers as people will see but um, I'm really excited for this I'm it's always really fun always really quite stressful as well doing these streams but um, I think it should be a laugh so if people fancy that 6th of December 5pm come watch some nice gentle quizzing and some, and some banter the reason I, I sort of brought this up as well was if you could take part in any quiz format dan what would it be mm. well it's funny you should ask Simon because i am taking part in a quiz format oh really on the 18th of december at 8 p.m i am on i don't know which team yet but i am a team member as part of the big cathedral quiz or cathedral music quizmas i think it's being called <laughs> hosted by alexander armstrong oh legend that's two episodes in a row that he's come up yeah, well, I mean, well, I saw him uh, last week when I was being presented to the Duchess of Gloucester. But anyway. Um, <laughs> that's by the by. Uh, that's it. enough about me. Uh, yeah, so I'm doing that. I'm either I'm either going to be on Sarah McDonald's team. <laughs> right. Who is current director of music at Selwyn College, Cambridge, and also uh, Ely Cathedral. Or Carl Jackson, who is the director of music at Hampton Court Palace. Okay, so, you know, if the music round comes up, you're probably all right. I mean, I imagine there's yeah. going to be a lot of music in this quiz. I think there's going to be quite a lot of music, yeah. I do love a pub quiz. I assume it's a pub quiz format. <laughs> I think so. It says on the Cathedral Music Trust Instagram post, it says, Get festive as at Xander Armstrong hosts our annual quiz in aid of Cathedral Music, comma, featuring the biggest names from across the choral world. Including Dan Moore. Yeah, I'm just... I, now, the thing is... That could be in reference to the questions, or it could be in, you know, it could be referring to the people taking part in the team, or taking part in the quiz across the two teams, of which I am one. So, yeah, I'm not sure I'm one of the biggest names from across the choral world, but I'm very happy <laughs> to, by proxy, sort of fall into that sort of catchment area. That's quite fun. Well, you know, to our, our, our audience, I think you may be the biggest name in the choral world. Oh, well, gosh, that's terribly kind. <laughs> but, yeah, pub quiz, I'd love to... Maybe we should just do, like, a wiki cast. Oh, that would be great. Why don't we do that? Why don't we do, on our Discord, a wiki cast mm -hmm. pub quiz night? And we both host it. That's an excellent idea. And we have, like, you know, five rounds. We could do music ra Oh, we should totally do this. Yeah, we can do this. Maybe we could do it for Christmas. Why not? A pub quiz isn't just for Christmas. But let's do it at Christmas. <laughs> we could each write, like, three rounds. Yeah. Oh my god, we should totally do it. We can do this. This is a great idea. Oh, well, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Or we could, because there's always that bit of the slight sort of boring flop in the new year, we could have a new year quiz. Oh, the gooch like of some, the year. Sometime in January. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, sorry. No, the Gooch of the Year is between Christmas and New Year. The Wikicast Big Fat Quiz of the Year. Yes. Yes. Okay, we, whilst my brain whirs in the background thinking about this, I would like you, Dan, to tell me about your choral piece of the week. And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Well, it's a very interesting one this week, Simon, because I went to a concert last Friday in St Martin in the Fields, Mm. uh, just off Trafalgar Square in London, where I heard for the first time, live and in the flesh, the BBC Singers. Oh! Which was amazing. Still surviving. Still going. Thankfully, still surviving. And they are just extraordinary. And the concert and the music was unbelievable and thrilling. Not only because the BBC singers are glorious, but it was a concert of Howl's music. Oh, oh, okay. Not only that, they had a special guest conductor. Do you have any idea who it might have been? Was it you? No, sadly oh. not. Um, was it Harry Christophers? It wasn't. He was a... I'll give you a clue. He's a former Prime Minister. No, former Member of Parliament and Member of the Cabinet, I think. And he's been... He's been a presence online about his journey to learn how to conduct choirs. I have to admit, I don't know who that is. Ed Balls. You're joking. Ed Balls! I'm completely serious. And he was really good. He sort of hosted the evening and talked us through the various pieces and conducted two pieces. The first was Howell's Hymn to St Cecilia, which was fitting because we were about we were only a week away at that point from the Feast of St Cecilia, which I believe was this Wednesday. Not to date the podcast, but mm. this Wednesday just gone. And fittingly too, a piece also written by Howells, A Grace for Ten Downing Street. Ah, I've never heard of that. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, there's an interesting story about this Grace for, for Ten Downing Street. In 1972, Edward Heath was Prime Minister. Right. One of the more glittering occasions while he was Prime Minister was a dinner given on the 29th of March, 1972, in honour of William Walton who celebrated his 70th birthday that day. Hmm. It was in the presence of the Queen Mother. Heath and Howells were well acquainted because I think it was when Edward Heath was at Oxford, he was asking Howells for a reference, I think, for, for something. Hmm. And Howells said, I'll write you a reference, but with a sort of provision. And the provision is, if you ever become Prime Minister... I want to write a piece for you. And Edward Heath, as a student, said, yeah, all right then. Yeah, sure. And then went on to become Prime Minister. That is great. Oh, that's a great story. He was just like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> At the words, God save the Queen, preserve our host, in the prayer for 10 Downing Street, which you can listen to. It's there. Where's are... the text from? Uh, Robert Armstrong, who was Heath's private secretary and then later became cabinet secretary. Right. But at the words, God save the Queen, preserve our hosts, all attentive listeners may detect a musical quotation from Walton's Belshazzar's Feast. Right. It's really cool. So he conducted, anyway, so he did this and it was brilliant. The whole concert was great. The BBC singers were glorious. I thought Ed Balls did a marvellous job. One of the pieces they sang in this concert, and they did all the bangers, you know, we had... Howl's Gloucester Maga Nunc, we had the Howl's Te Deum, we had one of the Psalms from Howl's Requiem, Hymnus Paradisi. Mm. We also had Take Him Earth for Cherishing. I, 
this has been bugging me. Whilst you've been talking, I've been thinking. I swear that there was a, a, a howls thing that was happening, and maybe I'm maybe I'm just thinking of this concert that you went to. Yeah, you may well be. Yeah. So the concert, the concert featured this "Take Him Earth for Cherishing." Mm. Were you in choir when we did this? No, I wasn't. Uh, do you know about it? Do you know the history of the piece? No, no, pray tell. So when President Kennedy was assassinated. There were plans for a large memorial service to be held in uh, Washington. Hmm. And Howells was asked to compose a work for the funeral. And that work is Take Him Earth for Cherishing. Right. It's hugely emotional and absolutely beautiful, incredibly powerful, not only because obviously he was writing for this event, but it wasn't long after the death of Howells' son, Michael, of which, you know, the eponymous hymn tune, Michael, is written. Hmm. But I think, you know, how scholars always talk about how Michael's death never sort of left him, Herbert, that is. Because it was also the inspiration for Like as the Heart, is that correct? I think so, yes, yes. So this incredible tragedy that never left Howells was, mm. yeah, Howell, yeah, so it's written here, um, thoughts of his son's death were never far away and these beautiful words were there waiting to be set. Is it too fanciful to suggest that in responding to the shock that the whole world felt at the assassination of John Kennedy, a young man in whom much hope for the future had been invested, Howells found the motivation for what must surely be another memorial for Michael, his son? Wow. And it's an incredible piece of music. So my choral piece of the week is Take Him Earth for Cherishing by Herbert Howells. Love it. Love to see it. I, will, I'll have to, I, I have listened to it before, but I think I will give it another listen after we finish recording. There's loads of recordings all over the shop. Yeah, but it's it's a beautiful piece. I'll put one in the description. If people don't know, I put a link to to a Spotify track in the description every time Dan mentions a, a core piece of the week. I um oh yeah I I so I had a just to, to go on your coattails a tiny bit last weekend cooked a Sunday dinner for my family. So my mum came over and uh, my wife and my daughter, and I was able to have on in the background an album which I had found years like five or six years ago now and mm -hmm. wasn't available on spotify it was grayed out i'd added it to my library but it was grayed out and it's just come back which is i was glad sacred music of stanford and parry by the king's consort so this is like your typical fair like it's stanford mag and nunc in a actually it's uh, and b flat and c and g but then also i was glad bless pair of sirens uh, day coronation Day, um but they're all orchestrated so they've all got full full brass and orchestra even the canticles and whatnot and it's just so you know brash and and anglicana and i had this experience mm. of making like you know doing roast potatoes and doing all the trimmings and stuff and having this on on the speaker in the kitchen and i was just like oh yeah this is yeah this is hearty <laughs> we've we've arrived we've arrived I, i'd like my sundays to be like that going forwards please and thank you absolutely brilliant a bonus very english recommendation for people there so in Critics Corner, Dan, mm. I had an idea, I asked myself a question earlier, and I'd be curious to know your answer because I'm not sure what my answer is. Question is, where is the most amazing place you've ever been? Gosh. Because it's quite hard, isn't it? You sort of yeah, that is you're difficult. going through the Rolodex of your brain of like, well, that was cool, but that was cool. Was there somewhere cooler than that? Maybe sunset in Haolong Bay in Vietnam. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
which I believe is one of the like seven natural wonders of the world. Yeah, because there's the seven wonders of the ancient world. Hang on, seven natural wonders of the world. Let's see. So, Heilong Bay, I think. Yes, Heilong Bay's on there. This has more than seven, Google. Why give me a list okay. that's got more than seven things on it? Um, okay, it's not on this specific list, the the sevennaturalwonders.org list. Okay. Wait, hang on, what? The list of natural wonders includes... That implies there could be more than seven. Okay, the, the seven that they have, you may have been to at least one of these. The Great Barrier Reef. Yes. Mount Everest. No. Feels like a bit of a shoe in that. It's just like, oh, it's the yeah. tallest place on earth. Oh, all right, we'll put it on the list. Because also I think if you're talking about mountains like that, the Matterhorn is more impressive. Because it's more standalone, isn't it? It looks better, doesn't it? But yeah, by the same dint of, you know, Mount Everest being a natural wonder, surely the Challenger Deep, like the Marianas Trench, should also be. Yes. It's just like, you know, well, if we have the highest point, we should have the lowest point. Because it is impressive. It's just very, very difficult to see. What else have we got? We've got Victoria Falls. Oh, yeah. Uh, between Zambia and Zimbabwe. Uh, Paracutin. What? Ah, no, I didn't. I have heard about this. Yes. This was a volcano just outside of sorry 200 miles west of mexico city um that erupted in a field in 1943 right and it's this really steep-sided volcano that's just appeared out of nowhere wow i'm not certain i mean it does the, the pictures do look spectacular when it's erupting i'm not certain i'd call that a wonder of the world mm. this feels furious uh what else have we got the grand canyon fair enough yeah love to go and see that at some point yeah me too the harbour of Rio de Janeiro, also known as Guanabara Bay, which I again I guess is it is it particularly big? Is it just beautiful? I'm not quite sure why that's a wonder of the world. Yeah, weird. Okay. And then lastly, the Aurora Borealis, which is also sort of bollocks. Yeah, I'm not sure about this list. I think it's fine. I'm not saying that the Aurora Borealis is not wonderful. Yeah. I mean it is. But it's not localised entirely in one location, no. is it? No. In your kitchen. Yeah. At this time. At this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> At this time of day. Can I see it? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there are, if you go on Google, there are other ones that are like um, Iguazu Falls, which I believe is the one between Brazil and Argentina. So it's like Victoria Falls. It's a huge waterfall. Um, they've also got Heilong Bay is, is on this expanded list from Google. Yeah, it's beautiful. Angel Falls. That that's surely one. You know, the, the tallest. Is that, the, is that one in like South America? Yeah, it's off of the Mesa. It's um tallest waterfall in the world. Is it the inspiration for the waterfall in Up? Yeah, the whole environment. They're called Tepui. I've just remembered. T e p u i are these like you know flat mountain tops. Yes, and then there's the tallest waterfall which is nearly a kilometer tall wow. an uninterrupted waterfall with a height of 979 meters and a plunge of 807 meters Good Lord. so the, the water's just missed by the end like that that is a wonder of the world yeah that's incredible what else have we got puerto princesa subterranean river national park in the philippines yeah i mean that's i guess an amazing cave network mcclear's beacon overlooking south africa so overlooking cape town beg your pardon not one for the vegetarians. It's a standalone... I, 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 there are more impressive things in the world than this. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is spurious. If I had a penny, Simon, for every time I've remarked at something I've seen, is there are more impressive things in the world than this? <laughs> I'd be a very rich man. <laughs> I'd be very curious to hear readers, right? Do, do please write in with where you think the most amazing place in the world is. And especially if you've been somewhere quite unique, I'd be very interested to hear about that. Because I was sort of... I I don't know. I I just thought of it as a kind of a conversation starter earlier. Mm. And I was like, well, I don't know where I would say. Like, I think the antimatter factory in CERN was pretty amazing. Like, and it, just in terms of, like, that being a thing, you know, even if it's not amazing to look at, what's going on there is absolutely incredible. As was when I visited a dark matter lab at the bottom of a mine, you know, a kilometre below the surface. Yeah. That was amazing. But in an entirely different way to the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. Like, that's the most beautiful building I've ever seen. Because of the lack of dark matter, presumably. Yes, <laughs> yes, very wildly different. Yeah, um, very different. Very light, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, it's quite difficult because it also depends on what you mean by amazing. Like, you know, it could be that you had a very personal experience somewhere. Yes. Or it took a lot of effort to get there. I don't know. It's, it's just, a, I, I, I really, I don't, I still don't know what my number one pick would be. Yeah. In terms of a, a naturally beautiful place. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, apart from my wife and my daughter, obviously, uh, was the view from the roof of the Oslo Opera House. Because I went there on that trip to, when I did the big train trip through Scandinavia. Yeah. And I was there at sunset. And that that was uh, unreal. Like, the pictures just don't do not do it justice. Did you regret having the um, fizzy lifting drinks at the, uh, at the interval? We've got a burp, Chuck! <laughs> Just to just to, just to bring it back to roll down. Yeah, I was I was just rising through the auditorium like sorry, <laughs> just trying to get rid of this this fizzy bubble drink. You know that was when I've been to Yosemite National Park. You know that's I guess objectively is, is supposed to be the most beautiful thing, but yeah. I don't know. Very very difficult to say. It's all a matter of perspective. It is. Also, I should mention that another one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen is my cat. Susie has been on my lap this entire episode. I don't know if oh. you may, people may have heard her bell jingling before. She's got quite needy after the baby's been born. I'm sure. How does she feel about the baby's presence? She knows what the baby is. I, I, I caught her looking at my wife, looking at the baby, looking back at my wife, and like you could see the little, you know, apple loading icon. Just superimposed over her yeah, head. The, the coloured pinwheel. She was obviously thinking uh, with her th- her five brain cells. I'm convinced that she knows what the baby is and that she's important. She is scared of her, but that's not really surprising because yeah. she's got to the point where she comes down in the evenings. She hides under the bed most of the day. She comes down in the evenings and asks for dreamies. And if you throw dreamies uh, for her to chase the sound of the dreamy hitting the floor scares her and she runs away. Strong. So Very strong. She, she's quite possibly the most cowardly cat in all of Christendom. Uh, it's, she's quite extraordinarily cowardly. So, yeah, she, she's afraid of her, but that's not exactly unusual. There's something quite lovely about a sort of slightly timorous constitution, though, right? Put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> Can you say that again? There's something elegant about a timorous... Constitution. A timorous constitution. New Wikicast merch when? (laughs) (laughs) Let's have it. Put it on a mug. What I want is a Drake meme of the meek shall inherit the earth with, you know, no, no, no. There's something gracious about a a a timorous constitution. Yes, yes, yes. That's one of the most you things you've said in a while. (laughs) Thanks very much. I mean, almost, almost as me as the short little bit of poetry that I wrote in our group chat 
Do we want to talk about that, Friday? by the way? I think we should explain what we do every Friday. I mean, I think it's quite an extraordinary thing. You know? I, I love it. Do you want to give us some context? So how long have we been doing this now? It's got Years. to be over a, over a year, I think. Well, it was lockdown, wasn't it? Oh, well, yeah, we've had a group chat for um, several people in our chapel choir who we, in the in the depths of lockdown, uh, we made this group chat and the idea was that we could talk to each other and we could coordinate playing some video games. We played Valheim, we played some, what else did we do, Minecraft. We had a couple of servers that we, that we, that we played and, and we haven't done that for a little while now. And we basically just sort of chat, you know, it's, it's every day there'll be something happening. Yeah, there's memes posted there. It's sort of, you know, it's like a, it's like a touchstone for everybody, really. Yeah, and for the past at least a year, every single Friday, and I think we might have missed one or two, but yeah. you know, very rarely, we one of us will post a video called Funky Monkey Friday. <laughs> Which is an amazing thing in and of itself. Which I would, I'll leave a link in the show notes. It's 59 seconds long. I would highly encourage everybody to watch it. Yeah. I, this video has saved me several times. I, I have got to Friday and I've really needed that video. I feel like we should get t-shirts made that are like, you know, your music saved me and just like the thumbnail yeah. <laughs> of the video. Because uh, well, how would you how would you describe the 59 seconds of the video? Um, it's a sort of hodgepodge compilation of various chimps having a really jolly time with some excellent funky music underneath. I think it's from Mario sort of Kart. Like, I think it's Mario yeah. Kart 8 music. Inspirational sort of quotes and hype. By the, you know about the fact that it's a Friday and you've made it through the week. Am I still dreaming? Friday's finally here. I'm ready to get through the day. And my, my favourite, yeah. when the opportunity presents itself, I will perform at my greatest. <laughs> <laughs> With over the top of a, like a chimpanzee just going through a field. <laughs> but like with really, really, really hyped music. Yeah. Ends with a, a pentatonic lick on a sax. It hypes you up unlike anything else. And I love it. I love this video so much. And you, this past Friday... Wrote a little, a little ditty based on the concept, the idea of Funky mm. Monkey Friday. In response to dear Dan Hanvey's little sort of limerick, I suppose. Yes. In a jungle where the tall trees sway, a chimp named Chuck loved to play. With a leap and a swing, he'd dance in a ring, shouting, it's Funky Monkey Friday. Yes. Yeah. And you just, you were like, watch this. <laughs> Now watch this drive. Yeah, so I then wrote my own little bit of poetry, which goes... Tis known that a Friday surpasses the rest and enables hope springing in all human breasts. So Chuck, eyes a glimmer and joy in his heart, was keener than mustard for parties to start. With a leap and a saw, he'd swing through the trees, his small little willy gently slapping his knees. Oh, Chuck, folk would cry, their mouths quite agape. You extraordinary cheerful and damn funky ape. Still swinging and sawing, he'd hoot with delight. From dawn's dewed aurora to hushed inky night. He blesses us all after long working week with funk, pomp and certain alluring mystique. Our monkey is here. Bless this Friday with funk. Be it happy and merry and brimful of spunk. I love it. I, I just, Fergus, can we please have the music to Funky Monkey Friday underneath that? <laughs> <laughs> that could be the new video that we watch. We just have the same music, but your your poetry over the top. 
over the top. <laughs> it was when I was writing it. I was trying. To, I was trying to be sort of quite sort of serious, and and I remember getting to the line with a leap and a saw. He'd swing through the trees, and then without like any conscious <laughs> thought, I w- I found myself typing his small little Willie gently slapping his knees. Like, it just it just happened, you know. I didn't have any choice. You can't explain away art, you know. <laughs> And also having a line like his small little Willie gently slapping his knees to contrast with from dawn's dewed aurora to hushed inky night. It's sort of like, well, I can write something semi-serious if I yeah, want yeah. to. Oh, yeah. You just choose not to, which makes yeah. it much more powerful. You look down and whisper, no. <laughs> Happy and merry and brimful of spunk. I mean, why not? It's yeah. fine. <laughs> So yeah, that's. Like, I'm glad that that's made it onto the podcast because this has been a genuine fixture of our lives for quite some time now. <laughs> yeah, uh, it saved me, and I think it can save you too. This sounds like we've become missionaries. Yeah. Can I interest you in just a minute of talking about our Lord and Savior, Funky Monkey Friday? <laughs> Have you ever considered letting Funky Monkey Friday into your life? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that feels right. I'm glad that we've talked about this. You know what else I'd be glad to talk about? Mm-hmm. Our lovely patrons. Oh, let's do it. Top lad- And it's that time again where we find ourselves in Patreon Corner. An opportunity to say an enormous thank you to those who support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash the wikicast. Without your support, this podcast couldn't happen. We couldn't pay for our hosting. We couldn't pay our marvellous editor, Fergus. And we couldn't have our little pot of helpful funding when we want to do things uh, either wikicast related possibly merch and things in person that we can put up on spongy electric um, mm. our youtube channel gosh i can't wait to actually film in person with you dan that, that's, that's yeah. that we've got a lot to catch up on we've got lots to do we're, and we're, we're, we're going to be uh, opening some post i believe yes we do have some post of course you can send us post if you go on our instagram we have a, a po box address that, that's up there there may well be quite a lot of stuff there for some reason i haven't had time to you know <laughs> go and check that for a, about two months can your po box like fill up i don't know what happens if there's no room in it i don't know i think they just uh, because we're british i imagine that they will say it's fine but like hate me <laughs> i think yeah. i think that's right. probably what, what will happen nice People can support us on Patreon in a, a variety of ways. There are two sort of tiers. You can support us with a dollar a month or five dollars a month. Basically, we don't think this this podcast is worth very much, so we don't think you should have to pay very much for it. But if you like it, if you'd like us to keep making more because this is literally just covering our costs, then you can do so at a dollar or five dollars a month. And if you are picking one of those tiers, you can be a top cat patron at five dollars or a top dog patron for five dollars a month based on what you think the superior household pet is. Mm. Given that I've been talking so much about Susie, my wonderful cat. I think you could probably guess you know, which side I represent. And for those who haven't made that connection but just know deep in their hearts that the ultimate pet is a dog, then you can support Top Dog. I'd like to say an enormous thank you to those who support at Top Dog tier. Starting with Jay Wright, Ben McMurtry, Peter Reed, Codzo, Colin J. Brown, Lexi at Front Desk, Henry VII, King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Aaron Jorgensen, Naflarok, Andrian with an N, Chan, Ben Caples, Martin Narciso, Lexi at Front Desk's boss, Amy Bonney, Sophie, Carnav, I'm Stuck in a PhD and I Blame Simon, Dan Nelson, Riley Stray, and Gentle Grudge. How many top dogs do you have? Uh, I have 20. I have 20 top cats. They're perfectly balanced. 
Oh my god, it's like yin and or yang. It's like the film Cats and Dogs with Jeff Goldblum. Why have we not watched that as that's one we should do a commentary track for? It's like the weird child animation Cat Dog. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, I never watched Weird. that. Was a uh, Cartoon Network thing, wasn't it? It was like Ren and Stimpy. It was. Yeah, yeah we, we should. When we meet up in person, we should just watch the film Cats versus Dogs and do. Which is terrible. It's a terrible film. We, we should okay. just do like a commentary track it. for it as a Patreon exclusive. Every time you see a cat, you take a shot. Every time I see a dog, <laughs> I take a shot. And then the Patreon money can fund our funerals. Yes, perfect. Well, I, I still have to thank our top cats, and those people would be Will Jenis Humphreys, James S, Rents Kirk, Simon P, Oliver Burkhart, Nathan Flaherty, Layla Medina, Lord Lewis Bassingdale of Annettsford and its surrounding provinces, Jack Easton, Izzy CC, Nafi Iftikhar, Dame Valerie the Third, Dan Hanvey, Connor Levers, Colm Mansfield, Christopher Betterton, Lexi at Front Desk's Arch Enemy, Isabella, Anna Reifer, and the Kyrene on Caffeine. Thank you very much to everyone who supports us on Patreon. It's all your fault, and apparently now you're going to give us alcohol poisoning. Top lad. Now we've just uh, we've just peered through the mailroom door into uh, correspondence corner, and we noticed that nothing new has come in. That's probably because we only released a new episode about two days ago. So that's fine. We forgive you. Yeah, that that's my fault. That's that's my fault. Sorry. I, I, I the way that this works is Fergus edits the episodes for us, and I review it, collate all the links, and post it. Obviously, I've been a bit busy recently so i haven't i didn't get a chance to review it until about two days ago so apologies that's why these are going to be i don't know when this one will go out though to be fair this one will probably also go out in about a week's time and also fergus is very busy composing some music for me so it may well be that this is also a bit delayed but anyway we haven't got any new emails but i'd just like to reiterate my call from last time please do i mean please do email in we, we love hearing from our readers in any sense. But also, please do email in with where you think the most amazing place you've ever been is and what the story of you going there was, because I'd, I'd be really, really interested to hear. So, Simon, what have we learned today? Today, Dan, we learned about the incredible story of the Wade Dahl Till valve. Amazing. A cerebral shunt improvement to a cerebral shunt developed by author Roald Dahl and his friend from model aircrafting and a actual neurosurgeon. One of the most incredible ones I think we've ever had. We caught up on what we've uh, what we've been going up to. I did a sort of slightly interesting name drop about the uh, Duchess of Gloucester. Um, we spoke about quizzes. We had a choral piece of the week, Take Him Earth for Cherishing by Herbert Howells. Mm. It's been a jam-packed episode, Simon. It really, really has. We've, we've got through a lot. It's interesting how, you know, you just have these people in your life. And Dan is my my pet human where, where this happens. Well, you can just shoot the sh- for hours at a time and it doesn't matter if we had this conversation a couple of days ago like when we uh, I, I still think very fondly of us when we went up to Yorkshire to our friend Hugo Wickman's house just doing this basically non-stop for a couple of days yeah we just so happened to put microphones in front of us when we do the show I really enjoyed this one Dan this was a really really yeah. nice fun baby free episode <laughs> It's the best. It's the absolute best. I love it. And it's frightening to think how long we've been uh, we've been doing this ridiculous thing we call a podcast, but episode 1 2 3. Sign me up for another, you know, an- another few years. I'm ready to go. This this podcast is going to document our eventual downfall and descent yeah. into, you know, the Wikipedia article for the show will be the beginning of the troubles. <laughs> Yeah. Legal woes. How are, controversy. How are the mighty fallen. Yeah. <laughs> Eventual obscurity. 
<laughs> and that's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice, join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our Instagram. The most amazing place you've ever been, your vote for the natural wonders of the world, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole, and, and we'll, we'll see you next time. Just so, like, effortlessly professional is the thing that just blows my mind every time. It frightens me sometimes. We, in the same episode, we had a discussion of whether old children's literature the censoring of art. is appropriate for children, and I also cupped my ball sack. And coughed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Somebody needs to lock us up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, exactly. I hope that, dear, dear sirs, I hope you get the help you need. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.